Methinks the angels that drew the assignment to come to Calvary Baptist Church today were not disappointed. I hope not. I'd like to believe that uh, those in the heavenly realms who get the assignment to be with us, to witness our celebration and our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, are always prompted to bring Him glory and honor. That's our responsibility, that's our role, to, to so love the Lord, to so proclaim His greatness that we demonstrate the glorious riches of our great God through Jesus Christ who has made our joy complete by what He has done for us. Well, I hope you're rejoicing in the Lord because I sure am. I'm so grateful for what Christ has done for me, He's done for us. And uh, because in contrast to the world around us, we are uh, quite distinctly different. At least I hope we are. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to me there is a growing resentment in our world today that is growing into a global crescendo. It feels to me like the world is in a state of explosiveness, and we see things bursting out all over, and it has to do with the uneasiness of people, the restlessness of people, the hopelessness of people, and, and quite frankly, the anger of people. I can't remember a time uh, when it seemed as if globally human beings were as angry as they are today. There is a great anger. We have to look no further than the political circus stateside to see that even in free societies there's a growing anger and, and this anger I think is because people feel very victimized by the lies of those in leadership. Leaders have let people down. They've been deceived, they've lied to people, and have misled people. And uh, this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, we, only, we, we realize that even things in the first century, the time of Christ, were very unsettled, and there was a great deal of anger in the world. And there were, uh, when Jesus appeared on the scene, it was not dissimilar to the way we find things today, I think. Uh, Rome itself was holding the empire together uh, by its uh, pretend cultural representation. Uh, King Herod was simply a puppet, a local leader to try and placate the people with the idea that Rome wasn't as oppressive as it would seem and that they were being led by their own people, but there could be nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. We know at the time of Christ that the religious leaders were more interested in protecting their positions than they were in telling people the truth. And that continues to today. There is a significant reality to that. But there is a leader in our world who will not lie to you, who does not lie to you, has never lied to you, and that is Almighty God. And what we are here today is to celebrate the fact that He tells us the truth. And uh, Easter, in fact, is proof, if nothing else, but it is many things, but if nothing else, it is proof that the living God honors His promises and tells us the truth. The events of Easter convince us, because they were fulfillments of promises, that God really means and does what He says. Now, that has uh, some pretty important significance to us in our lives because um, 
everything, therefore, that God says is important because he always means what he says. The disciple Peter, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, was in a gathering with some people and there was a man who was healed. And Peter, in the midst of a sermon, said this, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That is a very, very important statement that was made. Since God always means and does what he says, it is important for us to recognize that this statement of salvation and the reality of salvation and the uniqueness of salvation and uh, throughout our world and throughout the world's religions and all that goes on around the world, this statement is categorically made. There is no wiggle room. There is no broadness to this. There is no salvation in other kinds of religious rituals. There is salvation, states the living God, in no one else. And so if we, as we move through the sermon this morning, if we hear nothing else, uh, this is critical. I, I want you to hear this while you're still alert and you, you haven't, I haven't put you to sleep. I, I want you to pay attention to this. Please hear this. All of you, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ, who we celebrate risen from the grave, the living Christ. So um, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to... Um, there's this um, ladybug that's hanging around me today. I'm serious. The, the, this, this ladybug was here in the first service. I'm not sure what's going on. It was walking all over my Bible, blocking, my, blocking the words. I can't see as it is. I don't need a ladybug. And, of course, I'm not going to step on it in front of all of you. Because there may be some ladybug lovers here. But I got rid of him, I thought, the first service by, like, gently and unceremoniously knocking him off the cliff and he fell down and he's back can you imagine in the second service he's back now he's unceremoniously down there again and I just I don't know as I walk around I'm not sure what will happen I'm not sure honestly there are enough distractions in life I want to share with you from, a, from the resurrection text in Luke chapter 24 today, I want to show you three scenes that really set um, an important um, and establish for us some important lessons on uh, what the, what the uh, living Christ really means. And uh, there are three major areas of life that are part of the restlessness of people struggling to, to understand or determine their destiny struggling with relationships and community and what that means and divine human relationship and, and to, to struggle to, to try and grasp what is their purpose, what is our purpose. And in each one of these scenes, one of those uh, vital areas of life is addressed by this text. Um, it is possible that if you're here this morning, your disappointment uh, 
with respect to life in general has something to do with what you've found or what you haven't found yet in Christ that is really discovered here in this chapter this morning. Um, we'll look at what um, the individuals in this uh, setting did wrong and it hopefully will help us as we navigate our way through our own lives. Um, I must say to you today that, uh, that we're going to be a little bit hard on these first, these eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And uh, I, I'm going to be a little bit hard on them because Luke, Dr. Luke, who recorded this gospel, brings out something really, really critical to us uh, in terms of whether or not we really capture what Christ means and what Christ has done by what we anticipate, and in particular, how carefully we pay attention to the scriptures. Uh, you're going to see that in each of these scenes, in each of the three scenes in the resurrection account here in, in the Gospel of Luke, you're going to notice that the reason that there was disappointment or discouragement or, or, or some lack of, of understanding has to do with the, the treatment of the scriptures with respect to the characters in these scenes. Now, you know, one of the things that I hope characterizes Calvary Baptist Church is we take God's word very seriously, and there's a good reason for that, and we're going to see that this morning because God means and does what he says, and so it's critical for us to, to actually pay attention to the scriptures. Often people will say to you, what's the difference between your church and my church? And I basically say, I really don't know that much about your church, but I can tell you something about my church. At our church, we take God's word seriously. The Bible matters to us. It is the living word of God. It is the word of God. And uh, every detail in the scriptures matters to us. And I hope to show you this morning why that's so critical in our lives as we turn our attention to the scripture text. In these three different scenes, there's three very poignant questions that are asked. And each of these questions deal with the matter of human destiny or divine human relationships or human purpose. But before we launch into the text, let's just pause for prayer. Our Father and our God, we gather here this morning to celebrate. And we have something to really celebrate. This is the greatest cause in all the world to be people of celebration because we serve a living God, not a dead idol statue or a dead religion, but we serve a living God, Christ, who has risen from the grave, who has defeated death, and, oh God, we thank you. The implications of that are stunning. And what that means in our lives today is amazing. And what it means for our futures and our eternal future is, is outstanding. And so we gather here this morning and we invite you, oh God, to be praised and to be honored and be glorified because we love you for what you have done in our lives and for us. And Lord, help us not to miss the excellence of what you, who you are and what you've done. So I pray... As you uh, bring us back and, and, and help us to recount the story of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our hearts might grip, be gripped again. Oh God, that our hearts might burn as we hear the words of God and what it means in our lives today, Father. This is our plea. This is our, our, our urgent concern. And we know, Lord, that uh, uh, by the power of your spirit, you will visit us today through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we have this first scene, and uh, it begins on, in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, 
The women took the spices they had prepared. Now you're saying, no, wait a second. You're not going to be hard on the Marys, are you? Because the Marys in Easter, come on, don't... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to... And you, you look at the text and you see if it's not legitimate, all right? They... The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb... But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why, this is the first of our questions this morning, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. I want to stop right there. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Uh, this, res- this is a response to the question of human destiny. You see, these women uh, were loaded up with spices. And what was the purpose of them bringing spices to the tomb? They were anticipating that they were going to go and anoint a dead body. The anticipation that they had was this was going to be religion as usual. They were hoping that Jesus was to be the one that would rescue them and would be something different. But, But here it was. They saw Christ on the cross crucified. They saw him laid in a tomb and and they had come to terms with the fact that yes, just another letdown from the religious ritual, the religious system that we're part of. And so they went prepared another day of, uh, of going among the dead and anointing the dead and in a, in a discouraged way returning again the same way they came. That's the basic orientation of much of our world today or Friday or Saturday or whatever happens to be the day of religious ritual. It's just another religious disappointment. We come, we bring something, we don't expect anything to be alive or living or worthwhile, and we go away. And so they arrived and were startled because they came expecting it would be just another dead day of religion, and the tomb was empty. Now, the strange reality here is we live, of course, among a generation of people who are constantly looking for the living among the dead. Who told them to do that? Where do they get that idea? We live in a culture of death. Death at the front end of life and now death at the back end of life. We live among a culture and a world that tries to find some meaning with with evolutionary process of death. Somehow attempting to gain some knowledge and gain some satisfaction by believing that, that this life has meaning through evolutionary death. And so people in general are simply expecting that they will somehow find life among death. 
And Jesus comes to bring a different message to us. The, the re- reality of the empty tomb is an entirely different message. Uh, certainly, God himself is a different God than those who worship the dead gods around them. And so the question is, why, are, why in the world, ladies, are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And here's the, here's the, uh, the, the, the scriptural reality of, uh, of the weakness that was in their life. He says, here, remember how he told you while, you were, while he was still with you in Galilee. Why are you bringing spices to anoint a dead Messiah when in fact he told you, remember, have you forgotten what Jesus said to you? You should have been coming to the tomb anticipating the risen Lord, but instead you came expecting that he was dead. Why would you do that? We do that regularly. We come in here to church and expect nothing. We, we come here, we, we, we gather, we go back home. We, we don't come expecting that the living God will do something powerful and something special because we have forgotten what God has said in his word. We come here expecting that he's not going to heal us. We come here expecting that he's not going to help us. We come here expecting that he's not going to meet us. We come here expecting that he's not going to repair our relationships because we have forgotten what God has promised promised us in his word that he's a powerful and strong God and brings things to pass because he the same God who raised Jesus from the dead that same power is alive in us that's what we're taught in the scriptures this was a promise that was made to them in Luke chapter 9 verse 22 Jesus himself so that we cross check and make sure these ladies should have known this We find in Luke chapter 9, verse 21, start in verse 21, 22, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, that what the confession that Peter had made just before that. And he said to those who were close to him, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, what is hard to understand about that? I want to say something to you this morning. Many of us grow very impatient with people around us who we love and care about, and we have told them about the things of God. We have shared with them the gospel. We have told them about the meaning of, there goes the ladybug, (laughs) afraid to be stepped on. We have told them about the things of God, and we grow impatient because we're wondering, why do they not embrace this? We are talking, people, about eyewitness followers of Jesus. We're not talking about fringe. We're not talking about people who didn't have any interest in Jesus. We are talking about those who were closest to him, those who had seen him, those who had lived with him for three years every day and every night, those who were with him all the time, they were finding it hard to believe because they were trying to base everything on what they saw or on what they felt or on what they heard and they were not paying attention regularly to what God was saying. They were not paying attention to the scriptures. Critical. Remember what he said. They should have been going to the tomb with the math. Wait a second, let's see. He, he was killed by the chief priests and all of that. He was killed on Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yes, third day. We don't need to take spices. To, hey, Mary, 
put your spices away. Save them for another dead person. We don't need to take spices today. This is the third day. Remember what he said. But they forgot to remember what he said. And so do we. Now, if Christ is risen from the dead, it changes everything in terms of our destiny, doesn't it? If Christ can conquer death, if the living God has demonstrated that death cannot hold him, does that not change everything? Does that not change human destiny? If, you're, if your destiny can be living and not dying and, and resurrection and not reincarnation, then based on what he told you, what do you need to do to prepare to meet God? If you really want to see what God is all about, you have to look to Jesus. They couldn't really understand his mission. The Son of Man, verse 7, it says, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to take care of symptomatic problems. Jesus came to take care of the problem of humanity, our high treason against the living God. Jesus Christ came to take care of what, was what is causing our pain, what is causing our suffering, what is causing our hatred, what is causing our sickness, what is causing our broken relationships. Jesus came to take care of the root cause of everything that makes humans miserable, and that is our sin against the living God. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what the scriptures tell us. The real enemy is sin. And he came to defeat sin, which leads to death. He came to defeat death and turn hearts toward God. So our destiny is not 70 or 80 years. Our destiny is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But how? Jesus said this in John 11, 25, 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's the gospel. That's the truth. If you want life, you must stop counting on the dying things of this world and look to the living Christ. That's the message. That's the first message of this morning, this first Easter morning. Now, um, there was a second uh, scene that happened immediately following. Now, the, uh, we know the ladies ran off to talk to the disciples in verses uh, 9 through uh, 12, but I want you to jump down with me to verse 13. You see, if you don't pay attention to what God has actually said, if you forget as they had, it will be fatal. Because you can't find God among the dead. But there is a second problem in terms of scriptures. If you fail to pay attention to all that he says, if you are selective, you will also remain frustrated in your life. And I want to show you from this second scene. Watch with me. Now that same day, verse 13, two of them were going to a village. Two of the disciples, not the eleven. Many were called his disciples. Those who were following him at the time were called his disciples. We hear mostly of the eleven, but there were others. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. 
as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So he asks them the second of our questions this morning. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Note that. Because when you see what they know, you're gonna, it's going to be odd that their faces are downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, or do you, do you not know the things that had happened there in these days? This is really comical. I mean, it's tragic, but it's comical. I mean, Jesus is there. Uh, obviously, sir, you must not know what's going on, all the things that have been going on. So, so he plays along. Jesus plays along. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Now, now, they're teaching Jesus something right now. We do this a lot, you know, in our prayers. Our prayers are full of teaching Jesus what he already knows. Oh, Jesus, please, please be with me. Why? I, I've promised that I will never leave you or forsake you. Why, are you. why are you teaching me something? We do this all the time. Stop teaching Jesus. He already knows. He's a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Now, they even know. They're even doing the math. This is bizarre. In addition... Some of our women amazed us. Why? Why would they amaze you? Well, they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. Well, if he rose on the third day, you'd expect to find an empty tomb, wouldn't you? They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. Now, here's a word I circled in red in my Bible. All that the prophets have spoken. Can you imagine? They don't know it's Jesus yet, but can you imagine knowing that Jesus is walking beside you and he says to you how foolish you are and how, how slow of heart you are to believe Ouch. As they approached, or sorry, did not, now Jesus speaking, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Is there not a sequence to this, he's saying? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. All the scriptures, circle that again, all the scriptures concerning him. He goes back to Genesis and works his way through, pointing out to them all the places, all the scriptures concerning Jesus. This teaching was not under a rock. This was not hidden. This was available. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, 
Does that sequence of events sound familiar? Well, it certainly woke them up and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappears from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What are you discussing together as you walk along? I put that question out to you this morning. What are you discussing as you walk along with people? What are you discussing about the things of God as you walk along with people? I know what these two guys were discussing. They were discussing their disappointment with God. That's what they were discussing. They were moping out of Jerusalem. They had heard about the tomb. They had heard about the empty tomb. They had heard about what the women had said about the angels and all this stuff. And they go moping out of Jerusalem town, disappointed with God because their plan for the redemption of Israel seemingly wasn't coming to pass. What they clearly didn't understand is that their plan was infinitesimally smaller than the grand purposes of God that they were unable to notice because they hadn't paid attention to what? All the scriptures. By the time Jesus got to Genesis chapter 12, if not before that, he had already declared that this gospel, this message, this salvation of God was going to go to all the nations, not just the redemption of Israel. And so here they are, walking along with the Lord of glory, teaching him theology. And um, in the meantime, because of their disappointment with God, ruining their relationship with God. That's how it regularly happens in our lives. We're disappointed because our plans, our puny, puny plans, are not coming together the way we think they should. And so we look heavenward and we're disappointed with God. And now we have a bit of an estrangement thing going on in our friendship with God because he hasn't taken care of my small plan. And they wanted the redemption of Israel. They wanted merely freedom from Rome and all they got was an empty tomb and they thought it was a bad deal. Now, um, If we know anything about redemption, we need to understand something. Redemption means that you are paying a price to purchase something that is either going into slavery or is is marked for destruction. And to pay the redemption price is to pay the price of what it would take to actually accommodate the rescue of what you're seeking to redeem. Now, as we understand the theology of of, uh, our sin and our problem and why we need redemption at all, when mankind sinned against God, we were guilty of high treason against the Lord of glory. And the punishment for high treason against the Lord of of glory is capital. It's death. 
And so here you have all of humanity dead in sin and sentenced to death. And this one, the Son of God, comes into, the, into our world and has to pay the redemption price. The redemption price is death. So this is what he's explaining to him. Did you realize that the Son of Man had to be crucified, had to pay the cost of redemption, but not just to redeem Israel, but rather to redeem the whole world, to qualify the world to be rescued from the slave market of sin and self and Satan and to be brought into the great family of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the message that he was talking to them about. This was what redemption really meant. This is what it means to have a relationship with God, to be redeemed out of slavery to sin and to be brought into the family of God. This is what it means to be in the family of God. Are you, by the way, this morning, unable to realize all the joy that you could have and should be experiencing because you don't believe all the scriptures? That's what was happening here. And by the way, it is very Christ-like to insist on bringing people away from their wishes and their feelings back to the Bible. That's the truth of God. And God means what he says and God does what he, mean, what he says. So many people take little pieces of theology and try to build their life around it. Oh, God is a loving God. I'll be fine. That's true. God is a living, loving God. They say, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And he loves the world, so I, I'm fine. They don't even finish the verse. That he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him, whosoever believes in him will not perish. Whosoever trusts in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But most of them don't even read the two verses later. In verse 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There is no salvation in no other name. This is the message of the Bible, message of scriptures. I believe in God, but why do I have to believe in Jesus? Because God says you do. That's why God means what he says. Because the living God, the only God, the almighty God, the true God over all the universe, I don't care what religion you're a part of, there's only one God, and that God says that salvation comes through no other than Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You cannot enjoy community with God and bypass Jesus. You cannot. And so Jesus sits down with them, and because... They urged him to stay and demonstrated a genuine, heartfelt interest in the word of God, which burned in their heart. They were rewarded with an encounter and an audience with Jesus Christ. 
we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, purifies us from all sin. What a great promise this is from a living Christ. They were immensely rewarded. And they ran and told the others, the 11, those gathered in the room, and they were sharing experiences and all excited. So now we're going to go to scene three, and we're we're really happy because we're thinking, man, alive. You got an empty tomb, which means that that, uh, maybe Jesus rose. We need to see a living Jesus, and we've seen that now, so he must be alive. And they've told each other, hey, we've seen him now. We've seen Jesus. You're expecting in scene three, they're going to be like, thank you, Lord, Um, Right on the mark with Christ, but here's who we find. While they were talking about this very stuff, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They are startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he says to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? How gracious Jesus is. If I were Jesus on that day, after I had gone through all I'd gone through on the weekend, and I show up as I promised I would, and I tell them, peace be with you, and they're frightened and startled and doubting, I would be slapping heads together. I would be just knocking their heads together. What, you knuckleheads, what's wrong with you? You think I'm a ghost? Does a ghost do this? Does this feel like a ghost? But instead, he shows them his nail-pierced hands and his feet. And he takes a bite to eat. Does a ghost eat? I'm no hologram. I'm the real deal. Jesus has appeared. The living Christ has shown up. Why? Why are we troubled? Why are we discouraged? Why do doubts rise in our mind? The question of our human purpose in the absence of a grand cause which we is grossly absent in the hu- human race around us. People have nothing to focus on but themselves and their problems, and they medicate themselves with fitness and entertainment and material things. And they don't recognize Jesus even when he shows up. There's so much religious deceit, so many political lies, so many leaders who mislead. And Jesus, in his gracious patience, and thank the Lord that he's been gracious and patient with me. Because I should have had my head knocked against the wall a number of times. But he says to them, go ahead and touch me. Go ahead. Do what you need to do to prove that I am who I say I am. If you know that Jesus is really alive and are still anxious and doubting, it may be because you don't really understand the scriptures. You see what happens here in verse 48? Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Listen. 
this Christian thing, this Christianity thing, it's not made up. It's not human manufactured. You can't manufacture this stuff. You can't even understand this stuff if you try to. This is only available through the powerful work of God who opens up our hearts and our minds to receive what he has. This salvation is not something that can be made up by religious ritual. This is a powerful act of God. The same power that called the universe into existence. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power necessary to raise our stony hearts to be softened and willing to listen and understand the scriptures. But when we do and when Christ comes in and lives in our lives and once the same power is now resident in our lives, there's no excuse for not understanding the scriptures. God opens up our hearts and our minds to be willing to receive what he has. I urge you, I urge you to grapple with the word of God because he says to them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You guys thought I came to redeem Israel. I've come to redeem the world. I am the redeemer. The redeemer lives. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and you are witnesses of these things. Now repentance and forgiveness in the name of Jesus will be preached everywhere. People have to know this, Jesus said. He commissioned them. You're my witnesses. Go and tell people that they're qualified to receive salvation because I've died on the cross. I've taken their sins upon myself. I am their substitute, but they must turn to me and repent and ask for forgiveness, and I will come into their life and change them with the power that was used to raise me from the grave. This is the message of our great Redeemer. Our Redeemer lives. That's what Easter Sunday is about, Redemption has come. Our Redeemer lives. I'm going to send what my Father promised, he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. They went from frightened doubters and debaters to bold, confident, purposeful witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's who we are as well because the Redeemer lives. You can be sure of Jesus because God always comes good on his promises. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. And his salvation work for you is available through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is alive. What about you? Our Father, I pray this morning, as you have brought us to a, all of us to a fresh and, uh, encounter and a revisit to the tomb an empty tomb because God means what he says. A, a risen Christ because God does what he says. And now, O oh Father, the offer of salvation is available because Jesus commissioned us to go and tell people the good news, that they're qualified to receive Christ as Savior. And O oh Lord, I pray that even in this house this morning, if there's someone whose heart is far from you, that you will turn that heart, they will turn from themselves and their sin 
and Satan and all the things that are messing up their life and they will turn to the living Christ who's alive and available for salvation, for forgiveness of sins and they too will come to faith in Christ and be saved. Oh God, we pray that this would occur in this house this morning. And for those of us who know him and love him, may we just rejoice in the truth that redemption has come. We have been purchased. The price has been paid. We have been purchased out of the slave market of sin. We've been brought into the marvelous kingdom of light. We've been, uh, we have now been empowered by the Spirit of God to serve the living God with all of our hearts. So today is a great day of celebration. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you know my Redeemer? Do you know him? I beg you, I urge you to stop looking for the living among the dead. Stop focusing on your disappointments and your doubts and your fears. And fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author, perfecter, finisher of our faith, who himself went to the cross for us bearing our shame, being buried, rose again, conquering death, bringing to us salvation. Won't you invite him into your life today? I urge you, Christ, Christ Jesus is life and life eternal. Our Father and our God, I thank you this morning for this great Easter day. I thank you for what it means to all of us. It means life. It means life everlasting. It means rescue from sin, slavery to ourselves and our doubts and our disappointments and our fears and our pain, oh God, to bring us into the light of your glory. And we just thank you for the riches of your glorious grace to reach into our lives and to save us. And so we will celebrate and we'll keep celebrating because you, our Savior, are our Lord, our Master, our joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.